Hello, you're listening to Ready, Set, Go! Real Estate Investing Podcast, presented by Brandon Elliott. This show will be going over all aspects of real estate investing and is intended to educate, motivate, and prepare you to take action on your first or next real estate investment. For more information, please visit BrandonElliottInvestments.com. Thank you for listening and enjoy. Welcome back, everyone, to Ready, Set, Go! Real Estate Investing Podcast. I'm your host, Brandon Elliott. Today is one of those days. It's going to be an awesome episode today. We're going to be covering the ins and outs. And and this gentleman that we're having on today, Jordan, he is a boss. He's been in the game for the last several years. I had the pleasure to meet in person when we were in Cancun a couple weeks ago at the Tab Retreat, which was awesome real estate network event. And Damn, I should ask these guys to start paying me for that. That's a good little, uh, that's a sponsorship right there. Yeah, a little recruiting tool, man. <laughs> but we have all love for those guys. It was a great network event. It was awesome vacation. And it was a blessing being able to have the opportunity to meet in person. Jordan, me and this guy have a lot in similar history, which I don't know if it's good, bad, <laughs> it's different. So there's a lot of power behind our stories. And and this guy is picking up portfolios now, which is pretty awesome. Working on a 27-unit portfolio in general, which is pretty powerful with that many doors. Obviously, the cash flow starts pouring in. So we're going to just dive into it. Jordan, what's up, my friend? How you doing, brother? I'm doing great, man. I'm doing great. Thanks for having me on your show. Really excited to work with you, man. This is This is cool. Yeah, I appreciate you for jumping on. As you know, for our audience, our listeners, we're all geared towards educating people, motivating them, and preparing them to take action. And after hearing your story, hearing what you're working on, and also just seeing the education that you're breaking down for me to to really be able to deliver the value, I was like, this is a no-brainer. So uh, for anybody out there that doesn't know exactly who you are, do you mind just diving into your story a little bit of how you got started into real estate and what you're working on now? Yeah, absolutely, man. So I'm out here in little West Virginia. We're not really known for a, a big real estate game out here. When we get out going to all these conferences, they're like, West Virginia, what, what where is that? You know? So it's, it's interesting. Um, where you're at, there's a ton of competition where I'm at. There's like three or four or five, you know, big time house flippers, real estate investors. So Competition is kind of slim out here. Nice. Um, there is competition, but we're able to kind of collaborate a lot easier with each other out here. And it's really cool. So not as much competition, but we're all able to eat out here. So yeah, a little bit about me. I've got an industrial engineering background. I went to WVU, known for a big, big party school. That's that's what we did up there. We, we party a lot, watch a lot of football, basketball. It's a, it's a sports school, but it's also a really highly rated engineering school. So I went there for four years, got my engineering degree. And then unfortunately, I had an accident after I got out of college. I actually got hit by a car. I was walking across the street, got hit by a car. It destroyed my leg. I had a bunch of job interviews set up and I was in the hospital during those job interviews. So kind of lost out on that, you know, traditional American dream type of thing. Grow up, go to, go to high school, go to a good school, go to college, graduate with a good degree, get a good job and, and work all your life type thing. So that that was the dream. And then then this happened, lost out on my engineering opportunities and kind of had to figure it out from there. So my dad, a hardworking guy, blue collar guy, he was a UPS driver all his life. He just recently retired. He was able to kind of get my foot in the door at UPS and I started working on a GPS system for him. Long story short, 
got promoted up to a supervision job really, really quickly. And I did that for about three years. They were sending me all over the East Coast implementing this um, this new GPS system for, for UPS. It's basically a uh, mileage cutting system that increases the bottom line for UPS. So we did that for three years. That was really, it was really cool. It was good to, uh, it's a good experience just managing people, working those long hours, you know, working 12 hours a day. Just, just, it's just a grind. So you learn from there. It was just learning the grind and learning how to manage people, how to deal with people. But after a few years, you get tired of working for somebody else and doing what, what, what somebody else wants you to do. That's right. So, um, yeah. So they, uh, they started putting a little bit of pressure on me to do this and that, and I didn't really like it. I wanted to get into the engineering side of the business instead of riding around with drivers all day, telling them what, what to do. Basically, I'm a 20-year-old kid, and you know, you've know you got these 50-year-old 50, 50 guys, 30 years of experience, been running the routes forever. And uh, yeah, I wasn't too comfortable with just continuing to do that. So I asked for new jobs. They didn't want to give them to me because I was really good at what I was doing. So one day we just walked in the office and, hey, man, I quit. I'm going to go do something else. Had enough money saved up and real estate was the thing. I had not read a book. I had not uh, – I didn't know anything. I didn't even listen to Bigger Pockets at the time. I didn't know I didn't know shit, to be honest with you. Yeah. Uh, it was just one of those things that uh, one of my best friend and my business partner now was like, hey, man, this little seminar came to town and um, I think we can flip houses. And I was like, okay, that sounds good. Let's start flipping houses because I'm tired of this UPS stuff. <laughs> so that's how we got into real estate. It is not traditional at all, but I didn't have a whole lot to lose. Out here, we're buying properties for well under $100,000. I've bought them for 10, I've bought them for 15, 30. And that's kind of our sweet spot. We can buy them really cheap and they cash flow well. They don't appreciate well, but they cash flow really well. So that's kind of the beginning of my journey there. Once we got into the game, we started flipping. That's all we really knew. The first deal I did, we, we got money from my lawyer who, who did the settlement for the, the accident that I had. He, you know, he knew I had money backed behind me if something were to fall through. So he actually loaned us on our first flip, and it was terrible. We sucked. We didn't know what we were doing. Um, we probably lost like $5,000 on that deal. We bought it too expensive. We rehabbed it too light. It sat on the market for a year. Just everything you could think it would go wrong in a, in a, in a flip went wrong. Yes. So it, right there, it's kind of that kind of stung the very first one. But in the process of renting this one or renovating it, we bought two more. So you know now we're into it. And those two did make money. And then this okay. thing called Fortune Builders came around, and we jumped into that. And it's just been a constant, like, just grow and, and, and just sprint. We're just sprinting right now. We, uh, we don't have, we've never had a formal educational background in real estate. We just got into it and we're figuring things out and dealing with, uh, opportunities as they come. I love that. So let's take it a step back for a second, because I know you're working on portfolios, which I would like to get into in a minute, but your first deal, you helped raise some money from your lawyer he knew you had some extra skin in the game as well. So you could put towards it. How did you find that deal? And then what were some of the issues that actually went wrong with it taking a year to sit on the market? Okay. So, um, yeah, so he put the money up to purchase the house and then I put the money up to renovate the house. I had that little extra money. So at that time we're forming our LLC doing all those steps. So it was in a decent, I thought it was a good neighborhood, but later looking back at it, there was a three unit, apartment, low income apartment right next door. And it was a big deterrent for people. They didn't want to move in 
next to this low-income apartment building. So that's something we completely overlooked. We didn't even see it when we're looking at this house. We didn't even understand, hey, look at the neighborhood. All we looked at was, here's this town. It's St. Albans. Here's the average sale price for a house of this size. So it was a it was a bank foreclosure. We negotiated it to a price, and you know we used some tactics that we thought that we could use to get the price reduced, but it just didn't happen. So in our inspection period, we brought up the roof and we wanted them to re- reduce five thousand for the roof. But it's a bank owned; they don't care about that. Okay. Like, buy it. This is the contract price or walk. Yeah. And, you know we were hungry for our first deal, so so we didn't walk. We just ate that as an expense. We get through the renovation. We went through two or three contractors. Again, not knowing anybody, a couple people screwed us, you know, walked with some money. And, you know, it just happens in your first deal. Uh, well, it happened to me. I don't know if it happens to yeah, everybody. It happened with me on the first deal with five contractors. <laughs> yeah. I, feel you. I, I feel your pain. I've never had five five contractors, but, yeah, I feel you on that. Yeah, I should have sued at least three of them. The first three, <laughs> I definitely should have sued. <laughs> oh, man, yeah. So, you know, lose contract. We finally get through it. We probably under-rehabbed it because, again, we didn't really know what we were doing. And then it, <laughs> something terrible happened it, when we – the day this had to be the day or a couple days after we put it on the market, the city comes in and tears up the whole street. They're replacing the water lines, you know, it's just a concrete and water massacre, mud out in front of the house, the whole street. So that was a turn. It took them three or four months to, you know, get this problem fixed. So it's just sitting there, you know, sitting on the market, probably not getting many showings at all. Um after that, okay, we you know we get through a winter. Winter's not a hot selling time here. It's snowing. People don't want to go look at houses when it's anyway. snowing. Yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. Yeah. So we get through to the spring. Finally, it's springtime, and there's a. Um, it, it was an abandoned school. It was is a vacant school, but regardless, it was a block away, and it catches fire. This whole school, and it's massive. Asbestos, you know that that whole nine yards. So they had a major undertaking the city there to clean that up so just it's like i said it's just one thing after the other that led to it literally 365 days on the market we had it in contract a couple times and it just would fall through fall through finally we got a buyer on it we had to do a couple small repairs there at the end and uh then it was settled finally that one was off our plate but it took a took a full year when uh, you did have some under contract what were some of the reasons that it fell through Oh gosh, you're asking me to go back three years. Let's see. Yeah, yeah. Uh, the just inspection and people, I'm finding around here people are, they watch this HGTV and they're so they they want this perfect house. Like every single little thing has to has to work. Well, here you're buying a hundred and forty thousand dollar house. Okay, we're not in San Diego flipping million yeah. dollar houses here. So not everything can be perfect. Um, so we had anything from, you know, we left the appliances in there and they were black appliances instead of stainless steel. So some, somebody had a problem with that. Just little things. Um, we had a hot water tank. It, I don't think this was a deterring factor. We, we did end up replacing the wa- water tank for the final end buyer. But it was just little things that had it fallen in, in and out of contract. Or one lady, one lady, it was a financing thing on her end. It was nothing we could have done. It just, yes. just fell through for her. So it was frustrating. It was very, very frustrating. We'll just say that. Yeah. So moving forward, uh, as that one was sitting on the market for a full year, you still picked up two other deals. We did. We did. What what kind of leads were those? How did you get those? 
MLS, both both of them. So we started out just on the MLS, and to this day, we still buy properties off the MLS. I do the same in that area. You know, you can. You can get away with it. There's not too many competition. There's a lot of inventory on the market that are distressed that you can pick up and actually improve to make nice again. Yeah, a lot of people I hear, you know, you, you're tracking down a pre-foreclosure list. You're trying to get ahead of that foreclosure, help those people before they even get in that situation. 50% of the properties we've bought have been foreclosures sitting on the market. And we just got there, ran our numbers, nothing scared us away, and we provided the best offer. And it's kind of interesting. We, we learned a little strategy. So if I offer $50,000 on a house and the bank says no, they'll usually counter offer me at 65. But my $50,000 offer triggers something with that bank. And you'll notice a week or two, two weeks later, if they don't get any other offers, the price will drop on that property. Of course. We go back in and offer not, not only we just, we don't reoffer 50, we actually reoffer 45. You know, we go even lower yeah. to, see, to see where their minimum fell to. Cause it's an automated message. They'll just hit you back with an automated message. Like, no, the bank's minimum is, you know, 55,000 or whatever. Well, if your numbers match that, then go ahead and give them the 55 and, and, yeah. and take off and do it. So yeah, half the properties we pick up are foreclosures sitting on the market and we've been we've been successful with those. Yeah, I've literally had a a deal come through that uh, originally they had it listed for $40,000. It was another investor that picked it up out of state. They're, it was their first deal in the area and I knew that they didn't know the area well, but they were trying to get into it and uh, and nobody else was picking it up because it was distressed. So I just, you know, I was always a little under and by the time, like six months down the road, I finally picked it up for $5,000, but, and, and they just gave it to me. They took a little bit of a loss, but they kept on every month I would follow up. So the follow up is very crucial and to figure out like where their threshold is at that point. Yeah. It's, uh, it's very interesting. Just finding that threshold in these smaller markets that aren't moving as fast, you can do that. Yep. Uh, and we're fortunate we're, we're in a market like that. My cost of living is not high at all. So I can withstand smaller margins. Love it. So now at this point, you flipped about 10 properties. You got about 16 rentals. There's a portfolio of 27 that you've been working on. And I think you have like, you picked up eight, you have a, about 19 left on, yeah. on that portfolio that you're picking up. Let's talk about portfolios for a second. For anybody out there that doesn't know exactly what a portfolio is, it's simply just one investor that has as many properties as they have that they want to sell instead of selling individually, uh, they really want to sell them all together. So they're going to package them together as a portfolio and then sell it to uh, other investors or, or market it in that category. So how did you find this portfolio in particular and, and why are you going after those anyway? Yeah, this is super interesting. So we started a mail campaign. We're sending postcards. Actually, I'll show you them. This is the postcard right here that we sent. Love it. Do you we mind bringing it, it up a little bit closer? Yeah, we call it the pink doodle. It's just a postcard, you know, says, hey, cash offer or whatnot. On the back, it's got, you know, their address. Hey, my name is Jacob Skinner. I want to buy your home at X address. I can pay you cash no matter what time. It's just a pink and it's pink and it's got these little doodles on it. Yeah. So people are likely to read it. 
this this fell in this gentleman's lap and it had the address i'll never forget the address because it's my most problematic property right now uh, 426 ferguson lane 426 ferguson lane and he calls the number on the card and we you know we, we get a hold of him and he says towards the end of the conversation he says well I just have one question to ask. Why why do you want this property in specific? I have 28 other properties. Why why do you want this one here? Tell me more. Yeah. yeah I want to know. Well, where, where are the other 27? Uh, you know, because we're just pulling a list. We're pulling a list of um, owners that have more than one property, basically. Yeah, and, so you uh, didn't even know when you're on the phone with them talking about this particular property, you didn't even know that he has a portfolio of more properties. Nope, had no clue. And to be honest with you, if it was just this one single property, it's in the hood, I wouldn't want anything to do with this guy. Like yeah. when I saw the number coming through and it, we matched it to the property, I had a feeling in my head, like I don't even want to answer this because I don't even want that property. I don't even know how it landed on our list, to be honest yeah. with you. But we took the call and one thing led to the other. He's in his 70s. He's not in terrible health, but his wife is struggling a little bit right now sure. with her health. And um, he just doesn't need the stress anymore. He he manages all his own properties. He buys them. They're, they're all free and clear, which is crazy. He started buying when he was 21 because back then you couldn't buy until you were 21. Yeah, this that type of profile of an owner is very typical in that area. A lot of them are free and clear. A lot of them are old by older gentlemen that, you know, they don't, they don't know what to do with the properties. They're all like 90% of them are self-managing. So it's a great opportunity because when you get older, you don't want to deal with it. You start letting these properties get a little bit more distressed because you can't keep up with it or family health. All these different things come into play, which turn them into motivated sellers. Yep. All things you just mentioned right there were dead on with this guy. Yeah. Older, not keeping up with the maintenance, tired of owning them. You know, he, like I said, he started buying them when he was 21 and he would buy it. He was a sheriff and pay it off. And then he would go buy another one, pay yep. it off, go buy another, pay it off. And he just, over time, he accumulated 28 properties. He's probably had some more that he, he, he had sold or not, but this is what he was left with. And uh, yeah, you want me to dive in on the deal? You want me to? Yeah, let, let's dive in in a second. I do want to ask you first and foremost, like when he reached out to you, how long did you guys stay on that phone call? And did he catch you like right at, at the first time or that you tried calling him or did you have to reach back out to him? So the way this system works, this was a company that we hired. They actually send this mail on your behalf. They set you up with Podio. They set you up with a virtual assistant and it's all kind of done in-house. Nice. And not until it is a hot or a warm lead does it hit my inbox. At that point, we reach out to the seller. As, what kind as, of service is that, if you don't mind me asking? You want me to tell you the name of the service? Yeah. Yeah, it's called REI Vault. REI uh, yeah. Vault. Yep. We should get sponsorships on that as well. We should. We should. We should. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, they, they do a good job. It's, it's a little bit more of an expensive service, but we had an amazing response rate. And I think, too, it probably is because we're in a smaller market and there's probably not a whole lot of guys out here sending mail. So exactly. I can't speak to any other markets. I really can't. I have no idea what the response rate is. But our response rate, rate was just absolutely ridiculous. It was like between 12 and 20% on Ooh. which is just 
That's stupid. It's good. That's ridiculous. It doesn't yeah. even make sense. It still doesn't make sense to me. Out we here were, in San Diego, it's like less than 1%, you know? Yeah. We were overwhelmed. Like, we couldn't handle it all. I was like, Whoa. Now, we had to, let me ask, did they, did this individual or anybody that's actually calling in, did they, are they getting bombarded by other people? Like, or did they say, hey, you're the only one that actually reached out to me? Once we started negotiating with him and he was taking us around to some of his other properties, he did pull out a postcard from another investor in the area that just so happened to have the same exact address. So I feel like this company is using a, a list that is accessible to other people. Sure. It's not exclusive or anything like that. But yes, he did have one other postcard just from, one. yep, just one. Yeah. San Diego, they'll have like a grocery bag full. Like <laughs> it's, it's outrageous. Yeah. That's crazy, man. I don't even know what I would do in a market like that. Honestly, it's harder for our driving leads for us is not the difficult part. It's the raising the money and executing. So that's what we're getting into now with this portfolio is how do we execute on all these? Um, that's the more difficult part for me, but we're getting very, very close. And there's some cool steps that we've taken to, to, to get to this point. Well, let's talk about that. And first and foremost, let me just comment just my two cents behind it out here. I do truly believe it really comes down to the relationships out here, just like in any business. And we've all heard it a million times, like real estate, it's very, you know, a relationship built business. But out here, if you have the strong relationships, strong realtors, the pocket listings is really where it's at that you can, you can reach out to somebody that hasn't been getting bombarded and basically you can get that one-on-one connection and try to work it out. For sure. For sure. I agree with that a hundred percent. We, my girlfriend's a realtor and we have great relationships with a few other realtors in the area and they're even construction companies. Like we have a couple of general contractors or mold remediation companies that yep. will send us leads from houses that they would be working on, but the person doesn't want to pay for all the repairs. So that contractor will get a hold of us and say, Hey, the opportunity here for you. And we'd love to do the work on the house. Okay, great. Let's do it. I love it. That's a great lead. That's a great, Yeah, it is. And then you've got your contractor already kind of in the bag there. He wants, he wants that work. So yeah. Okay. So let's talk about, so some of the struggles right now, um, it's not the leads coming in. You, you had the system behind that, which is great. It's really just raising money. And, uh, and what was the other one that you mentioned? I'll just execute and finalizing the deal. So, you know, I quit my full-time $100,000 cushy salary job, right? Yeah. The security aspect, yeah. yeah. Done, quit. Well, on a tax return for a bank, that doesn't look so great when nope. I don't have any income coming in. And I didn't realize that at the beginning. I'm just like, I've got all this cash. I'm done. I'm going to go do something on my own. So that's posed an issue to us. My Fortunately, my business partner has a W-2 income. He has a job and he's going to keep that job until we don't need that job anymore. Yeah. So they look at your, your income and your credit and what your business is bringing in and whatnot. Yep. And because we're, you know, we're only two and a half, three years in the game, there's not a whole, there's not a huge history on us. Um, we flipped some houses, but we, we're buying them faster than we can sell them at this point. Yeah. So even on your business, our business return, it looks a little sketchy. It's like, oh man, you guys are buying a lot, but your your revenues aren't aren't that great yet. So those are some hurdles that we're uh, we're trying to overcome right now, and okay. but we're getting there. And it's just like you you were just talking about, it's relationships, not only realtors but banks. You got to right. start making these relationships with banks, and not just one, not just the bank that your primary checking account is with, because they might not have the product for you. They might not have what you need. Yeah. Um, so you got to, I mean, we, right now we're in discussion with about seven or eight different banks on this one. 
I love it. When I was trying to build the relationships with banks over in the Midwest, I literally made one flight out there with a business partner and we literally just made a full week out of back to back to back, nothing but appointments with lenders to try to build the relationship, figure out what they had to offer, tell them what our plans, our vision was, really try to build the relationship and see if it's a good fit and how we can get creative if it wasn't to try to make it work. If it wasn't a go whatsoever, then we would ask like, well, who do you know that could help us out potentially? Or what would you recommend? Like if you were in our shoes, what would you recommend? And it's awesome to finally be able to build those relationships and figure out when there's a will, there's always a way. But just like you said, you know, kind of quitting that security aspect and going full all in, I highly commend you for that. I love that type of personality. And for some people, I recommend that. And then others, you could, you could potentially scale by just having that security, by hanging on to that day job. Even if you don't like it, just try to hang on so you can get those easy financing in the beginning. Yeah, I, I agree with that 100%. If I could go back oh, yeah, years, I would have stayed in the job. Maybe I would probably just bs the job honestly and put not put that much effort while i was learning and doing my first few deals at least for a year to keep that income and to just uh fortify me being able to go to a bank and pull off a refinance or or you know have them loan me on on, on my first deal that's sure. what i would definitely recommend keep that job until you get your first one to five deals and then think about your, your exit if that's if that's in your heart yeah with my coaching clients i realized that the first three deals for them, for the most part, like kind of a rough number, for the first three, there's still that fear factor. After you get past that three comfortably and, and you know, you overcome, because every deal is a little different. There's always just like, you know, before we went live here, uh, we were talking about every day at being an entrepreneur, especially in the real estate game, like there's always something, there's always a fire that you need to put out and an obstacle you need to overcome. So there, there's a lot of power behind that overall. Yeah. Every single day is a challenge. You're going to wake up with a new set of problems. Honestly, I think my background in engineering, it's, it was an industrial engineering uh, yep. degree. I think that's what's really helped me with this. It, it was a problem solving degree. And yes. that's, the way I'm wired is I don't really care what the problem is. We're going to find a solution to it. Yes. That's, that's it. There is a solution. So let's figure it out. It might not be the ideal or the best one, but we'll figure it out one way or the other. Uh, to get the best fit. I love that. That is so smart. It really is that that matches up very well. So let's talk about raising money right now because we realize FYI too, for anybody out there that might be trying to figure out the easier way or not easy way, but other ways to get not the traditional financing, but still get their, their properties accepted and approved. Vizio, we're, we're a broker with Vizio and we can always help individuals out they're basing a lot of the loan determination on the property more than the individual themselves. So that helps out a lot. And you don't necessarily need that day job, which helps out. And it's considered hard money, but very favorable. I mean, starting at like 5% interest rates, you can get 30 year locked in. So there's a lot of power behind that. So if anybody's interested in that and needs some additional ways to be able to get that refinance or or purchasing, yeah, <laughs> then feel free to reach out and uh, we can always help you guys with that. Let's talk about raising the money part. I know that can be, that was an obstacle for me in the beginning. I didn't even 
I was clueless. I didn't know who to go to. Like I grew up super poor. I didn't have enough confidence in myself for anybody else to be able to like give me their money to purchase anything. So, yeah. so can you touch on that? Like what were you feeling when you first raised your first buck? And I don't know, like how, how'd you sleep? <laughs> yeah. So that is my role in my company. Now I am the, the chief financial officer. I'm the money raiser. You know, I make sure the accounts are right. So raising money is at first, it's the most difficult part. You don't know how you're going to get it, where you're going to get it from. You've got no idea. I was fortunate. My first one, the only person I could think of with money was my lawyer that we just got a settlement on, you know? So I approached him and little, little did I know he's got rental property of his own. So he's kind of already in real estate. And of course he is. He's a lawyer. He diversifies his money. Well, um, so I would first start looking for people like that, you know, or somebody, you know, has somebody in their life that is a doctor, lawyer, has some sort of money. Everybody, you're, everybody knows somebody. So you start there. And then the second and third deal we did, we raised hard money for. We learned of a hard money lender nearby to us. And I still, you know, I still had money so that I could pay that, you know, whatever it is 20 to 25% of, you know, the, the cost to the lender. You've got to pay your closing costs, your points, you all know, the fees. Yep. all the fees. And you still probably have to bring 15% to the table. Yep. So in our first, second two deals, that while we were waiting to get my lawyer's money out of the first one, we just used hard money for the next two. And they were profitable deals for us. We were able to get, recoup my money, put that, and roll it onto the next one. Just keep going, keep going, keep going. So first would be family and friends. Then second, you can look at hard money lenders. And I'll tell you a really cool thing that we recently, this is brand new strategy for me. We found a bank that will do home equity lines. So they were doing a HELOCs for 2.99% for a full year and then it adjusts the prime rate. So my dad's house, he just, my dad just paid his house off. So we, I approached him and I said, Hey, I know you need a new bathroom. I know you need a new kitchen. You want to put your house up on the market and get it sold for top dollar. Why don't you take a HELOC loan it to us for these next couple flips we're going to do. Yeah. And then the interest you receive, you can put it right back into your house and help you sell your house. And that was his selling point. He never invested with me before. He's a big 401k, buys stocks, does that type of thing. He never did that with me before. But I found a bank that I could compare him well with. So I brought the two together. He executed the HELOC and now he's an investor of mine just using his property. So that was a really cool way to raise money. There's so many different strategies. You just kind of got to find them, figure out what works best for you and just hit it hard. I love it. I love it. That's so true. You know, at the end of the day, there's uh, what is that saying? Like the six touches, like anybody in the world that you're looking to connect with, you're just six touches away. So meaning like, I might not know the individual, but I know you that know somebody within your circle that knows somebody within their circle to get to like anybody, you know, like the president, like anybody in the world, which can you imagine how powerful that is? Like there, there's so much power in that. And, uh, and at the end of the day, it's really just getting out there, being yourself and letting people know like what the hell you're up to, what you're doing. Because if they don't know that you're a real estate investor, that you're purchasing properties, that you are helping people make more money than just sitting in the bank with their money, putting their money to work in real estate for them, helping them and getting them educated on that stuff, then you're not going to be able to get anything, obviously. But you got to get out there, build those relationships, and then the opportunities are, are endless. It's crazy how certain people will align 
within your vision and what you're trying to accomplish. They want to be a part of it. I agree hundred percent. You're not going to come out of the gate super confident, right? Yeah. You're going to have to take your lumps at first, but you can't learn unless you try, you know, That's you, right. can't, you can't overcome until you failed a couple of times. You know, I, I've asked my dad for money plenty of times to do flips. I'll make it back for you. I promise. I promise. Well, until I presented him with this. So yeah. it, it, it touched him in a way that he could relate to. So he was more apt to do that instead of just writing me over a check. Some people, some people just write that check over. Yep. You got to get a little bit creative with, and, and that's what we've experienced. But yeah, you definitely don't want to lose your investors money. That's one thing about us is we've lost money on a couple deals, but my investor has got back every penny that they were ever promised. And that's just something that you're going to have to steal into your, in, into your business because the first time you lose anybody money, your credibility is gone. Yeah. So gone. true. Yeah. It, it's very, very crucial. Somebody, a mentor of mine in the past told me, look, if you ever screw up and you owe somebody money, don't tell them right away. Make sure you work on it, get their money, get it back to them. And then afterwards, let them know like, Hey, uh, you know, I'm, I'm glad we paid this off in time and how it's supposed to be. But just so you know, I ran into some issues along the way, but I'm a man of my word. I delivered like I, I was supposed to, and I'm thankful for you. This is what I learned along that process. You know, let's, let's see what we can do on the next one. And people love that. You know, the transparency is very crucial, but yeah, there, there's a lot of power in make sure you always pay off your investors. That's why in the beginning, we really like to teach people how to utilize the credit you know, how you can build up your credit enough so that you can leverage your credit and do your first few deals. So if you do make any mistakes, you got backup plans with the credit and it's all on you as well. So afterwards, it's going to be easier for you to be able to raise money because you're, you're honestly, you already have starting to get a track record built up, but there's a lot of power in it. Also, before we got, went live, you and I, we were talking about a lot of people out there believe that they need to get the money first before they actually get the deal. And then they keep on getting denied. Nobody wants to give them money because they have no track record. They have nothing under contract and they have no experience. So why would somebody give somebody that wants to get started real estate the money? Yeah, so, that's, that's definitely backwards. And that was, a, that was a learning curve for me too. I'm like, we don't have any money. How are we going to do real estate? We don't have any money, blah, blah, blah. You got to present somebody with a good deal so they can, you can show them how they're going to make money off of your deal. Then, then you're able to build traction. Then you can go get it. And that was with us. We, you know, back to our landlord thing, we put this guy in contract for almost a million dollars. I don't have a million dollars, Yeah, but I knew it was a good deal. So I'm going to go find somebody that's going to invest into that deal. And that's, that's how you got, that's how you have to approach it. Get the deal first, then go find the money. That's right. That's when the hustle starts. That's right. So getting it under contract, that's where the value is because you don't have, until it's under contract, then you have no power behind it. So therefore, how is anybody going to truly take you serious? Because you don't even have a deal yet. When you have it under contract and it's locked in on the price, try to get the price as low as you can, the earnest money definitely as low as you can. And then overall, the closing date as far as you can. And it gives you so much time. All you need to do is present that contract to some real players that are experienced and know, like your lawyer friend. And it just makes it, you know, he already has a little bit of experience within real estate and he knows you're a credible person. You got a little bit of money yourself. So you got skin in the game just in case. And it's secured by real estate, an asset. Sure. So I love that. So what other learning curves have you guys gone through over the years that, that you think would be 
game-changing. If you could kind of go back and like tell yourself like, hey, Jordan, don't do this. I know you're about to do this. You know, I've already seen the future. Don't do this. Do it this way. Yeah, they would tell me cheaper is not always better when it comes to construction. That's that, right. God, we took so many lumps early on. I've had to completely redo phases of projects just because the co- contractors that I had did not know what they were doing, even yeah. though they said they knew what they were doing. Yep. So we now only work with general contractors. I've got three general contractors that we work with consistently. I don't try to be the GC and sub everything out. It's a yep. bad it's a bad idea. We tried to save ourselves some money in the early going by, you know, subbing out, sub the roof out to this guy, get the flooring out to this guy, let this guy do the paint. It never comes together. They're on top of each other. They're not as good as what they think they are at Kyle or what have you. So if I could go back to my first three projects, they probably would have been much more profitable. Sure. If I had a general contractor that knew what the hell he was doing from the get-go. That would have made it so much, so much better, so much easier. It would have taken, you know, I was painting those first houses. I'm in there with the rollers painting to save a few bucks, you know? Yeah. Don't do that anymore. I'm yeah. Like, don't do that again. I'll never pick up another paintbrush, ever. I love that. That's so crucial. Like, I've done the same thing because I couldn't get a, a favorable bid that I needed. So I was like, forget it. We'll fly out there. Jennifer and I will get go to town and, uh, and start painting. And we're not professional painters, so anybody can paint. But it wasn't coming out the best, and it was taking a hell of a lot longer. We still ended up having to pay somebody eventually. So don't work in the business. Work on the business. Find more deals. Have people doing the work for you. Even if it's going to cost you a little bit more up front, it's going to be more of a blessing, less headaches, and it's going to be done right. Another tip that I like to give is if you are going to do the subcontracting, then I recommend asking whatever the next contractor is, let's say the, the painter, who do they like to follow? Like who has good work as a drywall person? Who does the flooring guy like to follow? Like in that process, because if they have good recommendations, then usually those people are like good, trustworthy and can really go to town but you're never going to get all three. Like you're either going to get the the price that's good, the quality or the time. You'll never get all three. Let's shoot yeah. for two. <laughs> we we would rather pay pay a little bit more and get good good quality and good speed than and that's not how it was before. We had the fastest, sloppiest guy for the cheapest price, you know. So, sure. I've done the same. Yeah, you can't get all three, but if at least if you get a general contractor to do the majority of the work, then you can rest, be rest assured a little bit more than if you try to sub it all out yourself. That was a big learning factor for us. Yeah. Yeah. For me personally, I, I think it's like your location as well. What you should shoot for added the three to a certain degree. Obviously you always want to have quality, but in the Midwest for me personally, I can deal with somebody that gives me a better price and not the best time frame. Like I, I know one individual, he'll always go over whatever time he gives me. And I'm like, probably almost double. But I know that. And as long as he gives me a cheap price and I know the quality, I'm not going to have to double check that. And it's always going to be good. Then the holding cost for me is very minimum. Like I'm okay with having it take a little bit longer. But in California, holding costs add up extremely high. Somebody that I'm taking over a project with now literally went the cheap route in the past, got unexperienced people that, you know, they were quick, but now we have to redo everything, like everything of it. 
like the bathrooms redoing, the drywall, the deck, like everything. So you don't want to find yourself in those situations because it takes a shitload more time, the money involved, and the frustration of going back and, and redoing all that, somebody else's work. Yeah, you feel like a failure at that point. Like if you have to go back and redo or yeah, it, it's a terrible feeling. You just don't want to go through that. I don't want to go through that any, ever again. So yeah, yeah, we're, we're the same way. We're not quite Midwest, we're more East, but um, yeah. the time to get, to get the job done is a little slower, but the quality and the price is right for us. So I love it. Yeah. I love it. Cool. Well, uh, Jordan, I feel like there's nothing but gold within this episode. So I appreciate you so much. Is there anything that like final words that you would give to, to any of the listeners out there that might be interested in taking action in real estate, but either, I don't know, struggling with finances or, or whatever's holding them back? Yeah. I think if you're struggling with something, just reach out to somebody that's, that's doing what you want to do. Get on the forums, listen to podcasts, and maybe reach out to some of those people you're listening to. That's where I kind of started. I listened to real estate pod, quite a few real estate podcasts. Bigger Pockets is one of my favorites because it's yes. broad. And you can, you can get into that community and you can start communicating with people that are doing what you want to do. That's right. Um, obviously, we're into this uh, acquisition of properties from landlords now. I never, that was not the vision in the beginning. It was the, let's be a flipper and get on HGTV someday. Not the, <laughs> let's, let's acquire B and C class rental portfolios and cash flow the crap out of them. You know, that was never in, in my thoughts. It's just go with the flow, take opportunities as frequently as you can. But if they're too overwhelming, then take a step back and, and take a, take a deeper look at what you're doing or what you're about to get into. If it's over your head, don't just jump in because you want to be on HGTV. Talk to somebody that uh, can guide you, hire a coach. That's, that's one thing I would probably wish I would have done earlier is hire a coach to show me you can do it this way. You can do it that way. This is the better way to do it. You know, just guide me through the, the trials and tribulations that we were going through. A coach would have been great. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And sometimes just a simple, like a quick call or taking somebody out to lunch or something, you can get a lot answered. I, I've had one recommendation from a good friend that reached out. He connected me with somebody in Chicago. He was going through the craziest experiences. And it literally it took about an hour and like two or three calls of this that I, I just gave him my time. And honestly, he literally transformed his whole business by just switching just a little bit he was going through, you name it, the problems were endless. And now he's on track with a game plan, confident as ever. And, uh, and he's seeing the results. So it's like, it's a huge blessing to be able to get that transformation. And that's similar to what happened with us. You know, we were flipping, flipping, flipping. You do all these flips in a year, five, 10, 20. Some guys are doing 50 flips in a year. What if you just did one portfolio deal a year? Yeah. You focus on this one portfolio and you just acquired 20 properties that cash flow. Yeah. That's my outlook now. Like we can do all this work and do all these flips, or we can create this cash flow and really just target specific areas and landlords of, of properties that are in the areas that we want to be in. Just work that one deal for the whole year. Um, Love it. Eventually, it's gonna it, it'll it's gonna pay off for us, and we're you know we're that close to getting to right where we want to be. We used to joke around and say we wanted to have fifty properties by the time we're fifty years old, fifty by fifty. Well, okay, we're gonna blow that out of the yeah, water. Yeah, you better like that. That goal is way too small. Come on now. Yeah, it's gonna be like five hundred by fifty at this point. I mean, That's right. I love we're, it. We're on a fast track now, and at this point, we've bought more rental properties than we have flipped houses. Yeah. Because you can you can do more leveraging. You can buy them in bulk. You know. There's so many different real estate strategies out there. I would say just get started somewhere, um, somewhere that you think you want to be, 
and watch watch new opportunities come to you because they will come as long as you surround yourself by the right people, any of the right events, opportunities are just going to come your way. And uh, who knows where you'll be in three years. I love it. I love it. I couldn't agree more with you, brother. You know, in, in a short time frame, you don't need a ton of rentals to really get get your, your life back, get your cash flow in to cover expenses and to live the life that you like. So I really do believe everybody deserves that and just figure out something, do a little bit of education on each strategy out there so you can understand it and then figure out what you resonate with and just dive deep onto that education and take action on it. But Jordan, dude, I appreciate you so much, brother. I really do. Tremendous value on this one. Do you mind letting the people know how they can get a hold of you? Yeah, you can get a hold of me. Just friend me on Facebook. Hit me up on Facebook. I'm pretty responsive on there. You can follow me on Instagram. It's the passions of Christ, not Christ. My last name is Chris. So the passions of Christ, you're going to see a lot of gardening and just cool little trips and vacations that we do with the dog and stuff like that. Not a whole lot about real estate, but my company is building Appalachia. Nice. Reach out to us on Facebook or Instagram there. Cool. Kind of what we're doing in the real estate game on, on those platforms. But yeah, Facebook's definitely the best way to just add me as a friend and let's, let's chat. Yeah, yeah, guys, please reach out to to this man. He's he's a beast, and uh, he's really been doing a lot of tremendous things. You never know the opportunity that can arise, either by adding value or receiving the value and making it a win-win situation. So who knows where the next couple of years could take you as a beginning investor or just partnering up with a guy like, like Jordan. So Jordan, I appreciate you so much, man. Nothing but value on this one. If you guys want to reach out to me, you can always do so on Brandon Elliott Investments com. Otherwise, Instagram, Brandon Elliott Investments, and then Facebook.com slash Brandon Elliott REI. As always, make sure you subscribe to Ready, Set, Go! Real Estate Investing Podcast. And also hit the subscribe button, but then leave a review on iTunes, preferably. They have their own special algorithm to really promote the podcast more to get it in front of so many people so we can really truly help make a difference. And educate, motivate, and prepare individuals like yourself to be able to take action in real estate. So with that being said, make sure you tune in next week, hit that subscribe button. So you get that newest notification to let you know. And uh, till next time, Jordan, you're the man, brother. Appreciate you. Thanks for having me, man. I appreciate it. All right, guys, stay blessed. This has been another episode of Ready, Set, Go! Real Estate Investing Podcast brought to you by Brandon Elliott. For more information, please visit brandonelliottinvestments.com. Also, please don't forget to like, share, and leave a comment below. Thanks again for joining. Until next time, God bless.